Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we will discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or exec- executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today's topic is different from what we normally do. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, you know that although this podcast is being supported by a uh, public accounting firm, we don't often talk about accounting specific topics. Um, and I don't think I have to explain why. Um, I, th- I, I, in fact, I think it may have been more than a year and a half since we did the last one, but I, you know, there's a topic that's, that's, that's particularly topical, um, that I want to make sure we cover and we need to make sure that we cover it before the end of the year, because, um, if, if we wait until after the end of the year, there may be some issues that, maybe too late for you to take action with. Um, and so that topic is, should I or can I deduct my home office expenses from my taxes? So spoiler alert, the pandemic happened. A lot of us were sent packing. I mean, some of us are still in the office, but you know, a lot of us have been sent home. And we're basically, we've basically been told by our bosses that you know, you can work anywhere you want, but you can't work here. And, you know, that has created all kinds of challenges, as are well known. It's, it, there's, the, there's the general upheaval of simply working in a new environment. You're probably, at least initially, you were working in a setup that wasn't geared towards work. Um, you, you, you may not have the infrastructure that you had at the office. And, and we had Jason Jones on a while back to talk about kind of the, the decisions that go around working from home and how to meet some of the challenges and even a little bit of insight as to what the post coronavirus real estate and office market may look like if there's a post coronavirus, this may be something we live with. We'll just have to, we'll just have to figure that out. But a a question that I, I hear asked a lot, and I think if you're not asking about it, you should is, you know, now that I'm, I'm working from home, are there any tax benefits to my doing so? You know, I'm investing in uh, in resources and equipment and supplies that I otherwise would not have done unless I had been basically compelled to do so, whether it was by the company or a localized stay-at-home order or some other force that, that required you to do that. And... Um, as you guys know, I'm not a CPA. I'm not an accountant. The last thing, the last thing I will do is give accounting advice or tax advice. The second last thing anybody anybody else should do is take my advice if I offer it. Um, so what I've done here is we we brought on a um, uh, an expert on the topic 
to help us kind of work through that. And, and, and there are really kind of a couple of, you know, key questions. One, can you deduct it at all? And number two, should you deduct it? And, and, and what I mean by that is when you get into kind of high level taxes, there are deductions that you're allowed to take and the IRS looks at and says, okay, that's a deduction. There are others, the IRS, there are other deductions you take and the IRS looks at it and says, wait a second, we need to take a closer look at this here. And so, you know, not everybody necessarily takes every deduction that is available to them because they don't necessarily want to have the additional scrutiny on their finances, on their, on their taxes. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, that balancing act to the extent that it's, um, uh, that it plays out here. And so joining us is uh, our very own Matthew Steinberg, who's a manager at Bradyware out of the Alpharetta office. Matthew specializes in tax and business advisory services with an emphasis in tax compliance. He also has experience in a variety of areas, including high net worth individuals, trusts and estates, private foundations, and tax planning. He has over eight years of experience in public accounting and focuses on providing high quality service to his clients. Matthew is a licensed certified public accountant in the state of Georgia. He is an active member of the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Georgia Society of Certified Public Accountants. In addition to daily responsibilities, he serves as one of the firm's liaisons at Tech Alpharetta, providing business support and tax advice to startup technology companies. Matthew is also involved with the firm's recruiting efforts at universities, and he attends on-campus events to meet with current students and discuss the opportunities a career in accounting can provide. Matthew is also an active member in his community and volunteers at the nonprofit organization All About Cats. I presume that's not about the play. Matthew Steinberg, welcome to the program. Yes, it's not about the play. Thank you for having me, Mike. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. Um, uh, you did mention the cat thing. I have a cat literally sitting next to me. One of the benefits from working from home, our animals get to enjoy us uh, most of the day now instead of just uh, a third or two thirds of the day because we're our our home is our office now, and it's great that we are uh, talking about that today. Well, they do they do get to enjoy us, and I, I think I have two cats as well. I'm convinced they also mess with us. That that they know when they don't want us on the desk, they when we don't want them on on the camera. And that's exactly when they feel like they need to be there. Well, I, I hope my cat doesn't walk over and step on the power button while we're doing this, because that, that would just cause all kinds of issues. <laughs> so um, Matthew, let's let's jump in. Um, you know, who is eligible for writing off a home office or a workspace? Can can employees do so or only the self-employed or is it is it more complicated than that? Um, that's a that's a great question. Uh, so currently, the way the tax law is written, the only people who are really eligible for these deductions anymore are going to be people who are self-employed. Uh, the tax law was changed at the end of 2017 with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which eliminated the ability for uh, W-2 employees like you and me um, to be able to deduct those expenses. And they were limited as an itemized deduction. I won't get into the detail, but the IRS and Congress did away with that at the end of 2017, implemented into 18. So right now, the only people who are really eligible are those who, are, who can consider themselves self-employed or um, you know, maybe they are partners in a partnership or something to that extent. Those are the people who are gonna be eligible, not W-2 employees. Okay. Yeah, and that part of the the uh, TCGA really didn't get a lot of 
really didn't get a lot of publicity. I don't think. I think there are much higher, um, higher profile elements to that to to that 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 bill that law, and probably we may not even be thinking about it all that much, except for the fact that we have coronavirus. That's right. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, you know, it wasn't really something that was being utilized uh, that much, even by um, W two employees. It's always been a bigger bang for your buck and benefit for the self-employed individual, but there were certain people who did qualify. So, you know, it, you're, you're exactly right that it wasn't really uh, publicized like some of the other items that were in that, that tax bill. Okay. So first, first decision point here, are you an employee? If yes, the answer is um, you're not going to be eligible. So I'm going to save you the rest of the 45 minutes. You could probably turn us off and go listen to something else. Um, listen to one of our other fine podcasts at a podcast aggregator near you. Now, for the rest of us that are are self-employed or are, I guess, are are in a, a less conventional job market, maybe you're in a partnership and so forth. Are, are there are there requirements out there for making a home office deduction? In other words, you know, a lot of IRS rules, as I understand it, have certain tests that will help you determine whether or not you are in fact eligible for that deduction. Is there a test of that kind for deducting home office expenses? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty standard test in terms of it's pretty black and white, which not a lot of items are with the IRS. Um, you know, do you have a dedicated space in your home or if it's not necessarily in your home, do you have a dedicated space that you're using, uh, to operate your business? If the answer to that is yes, then you look to the next step. Are you regularly using that space? And you know, say you have two offices, say you have a main office and then you have an office in your home. Well, if you can, you, know, you are allowed a deduction or a potential for a deduction, even if you have two offices, as long as you can uh, substantiate that you regularly use your home office as a place of business. So those are pretty much the, the two generic standards in order to see if you would even qualify. And then you move on to the next steps at that point. So you said something I want to, I want to pause on. You said substantiate. What in the IRS would constitute sufficient substantiation that that space is indeed a a, a workspace and and not something else? I mean, that's a, a good question. I mean, you know, you're, you are, you know, the IRS is not going to come and knock on your door and say, Hey, let me see your home office unless you're under some complete audit. And, you know, they're, they're examining certain things like that, but, you know, you just need to be able to prove, you know, here's the, here's my house. Here's a room I have for it. Like, you know, you don't necessarily need a blueprint of the, of the space, but you know, that, that all that in terms of substantiating and, pr- and providing sufficient data or information related to if you, if you qualify, you know, that, that's something you just need to feel comfortable about. If you have a space in your house, you have a room that you say, okay, this is where I do my office work. This is, you know, this is dedicated to it. You know, if the IRS ever came knocking on my door, which they don't typically do, if they did, you know, here's the space and there's the proof, you know, that's, that, that, that's pretty much the basics behind it. So assuming you're in a, you're in a non-audit situation, you know, what you basically do, I, I mean, do you basically just say, hey, look, here's our, you know, our house is 2,000 square feet. We're using 500 for the office. And therefore, you just sort of multiply it by your rent or by your, I guess, your mortgage 
or something, yeah. maybe your depreciation and that's it. And then you might be asked to do more if the IRS decides to flag you and ask questions. That's right. Yeah. So you're getting into the, you know, the detailed. So like, for example, say your house is 2000 square feet, like you said, and say your home office is 400 square feet. So, you know, quick math, that's 20%. So if you're thinking about expenses and things like that, you know, getting into the depreciation where you're deducting part of your value of your home as, a, as an expense for your business, you're going to take the percentage of that that's related to your home office and things like that. We can get into the expenses and what, what are considered write-offs. You know, you, you mentioned mortgage interest and I think maybe real estate taxes. And, you know, a percentage of that could be deductible against your business expenses if you're a self-employed individual for a home office deduction. So those are all very good points that you made. What about job search expenses? Um, can, can, you know, historically, I haven't looked at this because fortunately I've not been in a job search, but mm-hmm. historically job search expenses have been something that one can write off. If you have a dedicated space for your job search, right, a home office, could that potentially be a write-off opportunity as well? So that's a, a good question you asked. The job search expenses those kind of went away with the TCGA, especially if it's for like searching for a job for an employment where you would be a, uh, a wage worker. Those would, those, would fall, those would fall under the 2% miscellaneous itemized deductions on Schedule A. But you do bring up a good point. Say you're working for gigs and you're an independent contractor and you have a home office space and you're spending time, you know, searching for opportunities to get, you know, jobs, not necessarily employment jobs, but jobs where you get paid out of a 1099 or as a miscellaneous contractor, then you could qualify and substantiate some of those expenses related to a home office. But if it's for job fulfillment related to getting a full-time employment position where you're paid a salary every week or every other week, then it wouldn't qualify. So it goes back to what we started with at the beginning. If it's related to self-employment versus being a waged employee. Okay. Now, um, you know, for some of us like me, the workspace is a, a part of the home. In my case, it's sort of semi-detached as part of the building, but you have to leave and then come back in, uh, which is great. It means that, that barrier to entry means I don't get bothered as much. But, um, uh, you know, some people might have a garage or a barn, a workshop, a, a shed that's actually a, a secondary freestanding structure. Does the does the, 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 the concept or the approach to deduction change if it's a freestanding structure? Does that, does that make it easier, harder, no difference? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, if, if you can uh, designate a space that maybe isn't part of your home, maybe it's a separate space and you can, uh, you know, assign value to that potentially, then, you know, it, it wouldn't necessarily make it more complicated to compute the deduction. It would just be a different sort of calculation, but you'd still be eligible if you had like a, a detached garage or a, a barn or a shed you're using that isn't part of the house, and you know, that, that same one one unit of the house, you'd still be eligible for the deduction as long as you are um, using it for and regularly using it and conducting business there. So it would qualify. Okay. And then what, you know, I actually know somebody who built a, a shed uh, a so-called she shed on on their backyard, and that has meant. I know that that is exclusively for for office use. If if you do that, does does the way deductions work? Does that work any differently? Do you then basically have to depreciate 
the house? And is that how that works? Or can you deduct it all in, in the first year as an expense? Do you have any insight into how something like that might work? Sure. So if you build, we'll call it a, a she shed, I don't know what, 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 it, what the use is, but if it's for a business purpose and you're generating income um, regularly from, from the use of that shed, potentially, um, say it costs them $30,000 to build it. That's, you know, you can easily uh, compute that number because you had to come out of pocket for that amount. It's not like you have to break it out of anything or segregate it. Um, you know, in terms of deducting it, uh, you could not expense it all in year one because it's it qualifies under the uh, the uh, real property uh, statute. So you would either, you know, if it's being used for business, it would be depreciated over a long period of time. 39 years is the typical standard life for a, uh, a standalone building that's used for commercial uh, reasons. So, you know, if, you, if it costs you 30000 and you divide that by 39, it's going to take you a, a pretty long time to, to realize that back. So it's a slow process. But, you know, 100% of that would be related to the business because that's what it's there for. Okay. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit. We've talked a lot about the real estate itself, but of course, it takes more than a, a building to be an effective work, workspace. What about, what about furniture? If I, you know, I buy a, a Herman Miller chair, um, buy this snazzy microphone that I'm now working front, working uh, with at home for the podcast. Um, can, can I, can I deduct that as well? Does that, does that work the same? Is it different? How, how does that work? So it's a little different. Um, you're going to be able to, so the answer is yes, you can deduct it. Um, so say you have an office and you decide to buy two chairs for clients to come sit in and each chair is a thousand dollars. You spend $2,000 on chairs that are directly related to your home office. So you would be able to uh, accelerate those deductions because they're called what they are called personal property and they qualify under a, uh, a different statute where you can accelerate the depreciation significantly faster, but you would be able to get immediate expensing or a deduction for something like furniture, um, chairs, you know, uh, computers, things like that, as long as it falls under what we call the de minimis threshold, which is set at 2,500 by the Internal Revenue Service. If you start, you know, purchasing pieces of property that are five, $6,000, then, you know, you need to look into um, how we would depreciate things like that. But currently under the law, those would all qualify for something we call bonus depreciation, which right now is 100%, meaning you would get to expense it immediately under the bonus depreciations. Uh, statutes. So, I mean, you are in a uh, a good position in terms of if you need to, you know, purchase things like file cabinets, furniture, things like that that are easily easily movable. Those will, those will qualify for that immediate depreciation or expensing. Okay. And uh, and and what about? I need to go back to the real estate part because I almost forgot one question that's really important. Mm-hmm. What about improvements to existing real estate? For example. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal, I'm going to say about a month, maybe six weeks ago, where there's a host, I think on Fox Sports, um, who basically converted one of his rooms into a home studio with, um, you know, different lighting, different paint, because apparently that works better on camera, um, soundproofment and sound modification, all that kind of stuff. Can can home improvements such as, such as those potentially be a, a, a tax deduction opportunity as well? Yes, they, they can, um, as long as it's for conducting the business. So if you go out and, you know, 
add a pool to your house, that's not going to qualify for a business use of home unless you can prove that that pool will somehow add some sort of value or it's related to your business. I mean, if you're providing swimming lessons, sure. But, uh, you know, what, for the example that you were providing or the guy or the, the the girl um, had set up. There's a guy, it turned out. Guy, okay. Uh, he had set up a, a in-home studio for his profession. Um, you know, those improvements would qualify to be deducted as part of the business use of home deduction. Um, and they are interior uh, improvements more than likely. So they would probably qualify for something we call a qualified improvement property, where you would get a uh, an accelerated benefit or deduction for it. So that's, you know, that is something where, you would be able to get a benefit. Now, if you're just doing improvements all along the house and making repairs and painting rooms, you know, that's that's not going to necessarily qualify because it's not related to the actual office that your office space you're using. Now, say you paint the whole house. Sure, you could allocate part of the cost to the office, but, you know, you couldn't deduct your bedrooms and things like that where you're just updating it and, you know, putting crown molding and things like that. They're not going to you know, you're going to draw, if you try to do something like that, you're going to draw some attention from the Internal Revenue Service and increase your audit risk. Now, um, can you write off or potentially deduct services such as internet access or even a portion of utilities or maybe something else that, you know, some other service you might buy for your, for your home to work from home that you wouldn't have if you didn't need to do that? Uh, yes, uh, you know there there's something called uh, we call it indirect and direct expenses. So there are certain expenses that you're going to have in your home, whether or not you have an office, you know, power bill, water bill, you know, probably internet and cable. You're going to have those things. So when we we spoke briefly earlier about the square footage of a home and you know what is designated as the office space. So we used 400 feet as the square feet of the office space, and we used 2,000 for the total. So that was 20%. So say you have $1,000 and you know we'll call it $1,000 a month in power bills and water bill and cable bill. 20% of that we could designate or allocate to the home office. So you'd get a $200 reduction because 1,000 times 20% is $200. Now there are other expenses that are more direct, um, where it's you know even though you're using 20% of the house as an office. You have other expenses that are 100%. So say you buy or, you know, you pay for a website that's significant, that's only related to the office or to your business. Well, that's going to be a 100% deduction for, for the business. So it's not going to be like you have to allocate it to your house or things like that. But, you know, say you have, um, you know, postage and things that you're paying out of pocket that are only related to the business that are coming out of your business use at home. Things like that are going to be 100% direct expenses even though you only have 20% of the house as the office. So you have to be, you know, there, there's always a good, you always need to be deciphering between what's a direct expense, which you get a hundred percent benefit for versus what's an indirect expense, which you're only getting a 20% benefit for because it's allocated along the whole house. So. Okay. Now what about equipment such as computers, webcams, microphones, printers, things of that nature? Um, can, can that also potentially be written off? Yeah. So those would all qualify as direct expenses for the business or the business use of home. So, you know, say you need to, uh, you know, get a webcam, you know, say it's $500, you know, that could be an immediate write-off, a computer, you know, uh, printers, all of those items would um, would all qualify in, in the business use of home to reduce your uh, business, reduce your business income and, you know, 
get you a lower taxable income and pay less taxes. So these are all, those are all, those are all uh, great ideas. And, you know, they would all add to your, um, you know, benefit of having a home office and they're all um, great to have. So Now I've, I've heard in the past that computers can be tricky and the IRS at least at one point used to pay those extensive scrutiny because it's, it, you know, a lot of people will kind of mix a computer's personal use and home use and, 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 uh, sorry, business use. So, you know, if, if you have games on your computer, that would be, unless you're a game developer, I guess, or a game tester, you'd be, be, that might be problematic. Is that the, was that the case? Is that still the case now? Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a good point. Um, you know, you could, you could say the same thing about cell phone usage. You know, if we have cell phones and, you know, do we deduct a hundred percent of the cell phone bill or do you take, uh, 75% as business, 25% as personal? It's a fine line. Um, with the computers, um, the IRS really hasn't, at least in recent years, you know, come down hard on taxpayers for, you know, buying a laptop and then deducting it all for business purposes, even though you may be using it slightly for personal, for de minimis reasons. Um, you know, there's not really, uh, you know, you know, you could technically say you could use a, if you want to be uh, super conservative, you could say 75%, you could, you could allocate your usage of it and only deduct a certain amount of it. But for the most part, and for most of my clients, they're going to be deducting those, those laptops, you know, primarily for business. We're not going to be allocating those items. Okay. Um, so I think there's something on a tax return called a standard home office deduction. Am, am I right about that? And if so, how does that work? So I think, uh, yeah, so there is, it's a, uh, I think you're referring to maybe the simplified method, um, potentially. So most, most taxpayers, if they're self-employed, will file something called a Schedule C, profit or loss report, to show their income and expenses, determine what their amount is that's subject to taxes and self-employment taxes. And on that form, at the bottom, there's a little, there's a schedule uh, called Form 8829, which is where you calculate your business use of home deduction. And that's where you would calculate all the expenses related to your home, the direct and indirect expenses. And then you would also be able to calculate the depreciation on the business use percentage of the home. Now, the IRS came out several years ago and put something out called a simplified method computation. And what the, and the reason they did this is there were so many people taking a business use of home that it was just too much for the IRS to, to monitor. So, so many people were doing it. So they said, we're going to give you something called a safe harbor limitation. And what it means by safe harbor is if you take this deduction, you are free and clear. The IRS will not look at you, not audit you. You can take this amount as a minimum. It's a ceiling amount. You can deduct it and you are free and clear. You have no audit risk. And it was called a safe harbor deduction under the simplified method. And the way it works is for every square foot that you had attributed to home office, you would get a $5 deduction and it was maxed out at 300 square feet and it hasn't changed in the last few years. So the most you could get for a deduction was $300 times five square feet, which is 1500 bucks. 
So, and that's what the, the IRS just gave you that as being a self-employed person. You don't have to put, you have to give them any information. You don't have to put any data down. They'll just give you a $1,500 reduction annually. You don't, they, they're not going to even, they're not going to ask you any questions or you just, you just get it. So that was put in place maybe five, six years ago. And it hasn't, you know, the amount hasn't been adjusted for inflation or anything like that. It's kind of stayed at 1500 And that has been what a lot of taxpayers have used because sometimes that $1,500 simplified deduction is actually higher than what they would get if they computed an actual, actual deduction. So yeah. You have to, and you can, and you can choose and pick which one you want to do every year. You don't have to stick with one and, and keep it going annually. If, if the actual costs and deductions of the home office are better, you can go to that. But there's a risk there because the IRS isn't giving you that safe harbor. So, you know, it's 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 always a nice to do a comparison analysis, and that's always why you want to uh, get a good CPA to take a look at that for you. Of course. Try to sell a little bit here. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's that, that's interesting. I, I did not know that it, that it, uh, that it worked that way. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what if your space and equipment have dual purposes? Right, as we record this, my my office also doubles as my my game room. It, does that impact deductibility? And is that as simple as just saying, "Well, of this room, say fifty percent is for office and fifty percent is not," or does it get more complicated than that? Well, you know, if you go and look at the the regs the IRS regulations and the black and white, they're supposed to, it says in there that the space is supposed to be, that you're using is supposed to be dedicated and focused to the business. Right. So if you have, you know, if you have a, a mixed use space or purpose for the space, then it's not really designated for the, for the use of the business. So can you break it out and say, maybe part of that space is, is, you know, maybe there's 500 square feet basement and 250 is business and 250 is personal or, you know, just not related to the business. And and the reason they do that is they don't want you to create an office space that's 2000 square feet and really inflate your deduction by, or by, by, um, by getting us, by getting a lot more depreciation and really pumping up what your expense would be in order to reduce your taxable income. So, you know, it, it's pretty clear in the regs, you know, about the, the space and what should be used and what shouldn't be used as a deduction in, ter- in determining the square footage and what you can depreciate. That's really where the, uh, the I guess, where it comes down to. And also, if you have those indirect expenses, they don't want you to be allocating more of those utility expenses and things that are more personal in nature to the business if they aren't really qualifying. So you have to kind of, um, you know, be careful about about those things. You don't want to overdo it. That's what I would recommend to my client. They were asking these questions. You know, you don't you don't want to get too aggressive because then you start causing other issues. Right. As as they as they say down here, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Right. Yeah, that's 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 the saying I've heard quite a bunch. <laughs> so, um, um, you know, if if you wanted to keep documentation, you know, some people I think you know we both know people that just. You know, they just want to document everything. They just want to assume they're going to be audited and be ready. You know, if you're advising a client that were just dead set, I mean, it sounds like you don't really need to do this, but of course, documentation is never a bad idea. Right. If, 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 if a client, if somebody listening just wanted to, if nothing else to satisfy their own anxiety were to do things to, to document their, their home office or proactively substantiate, if you will, what, what kinds of things would you suggest they do? Well, I mean, you you would want to maintain a file. You'd want to keep a separate 
you know, books and records for the expenses that are related to the home office. Um, you know, you'd like to have spreadsheets set up where you can at least show on an annual basis that you're breaking out the expenses or allocating them to the personal side of the home and then the business side of the home. You know, you may even want to take a picture of your office space and just put it into the file that you have, whether it's an electronic file or you're still maintaining paper folders because, um, you know, I still know people that do both. Um, so, you, you, you know, if you want to really, you know, substantiate your case that you have a legitimate home office, those are the things you want to do. You want to you know, you'd want to keep a copy of your settlement statement from the house because that's showing the, the value of the home. And then you would, because uh, that's what you're going to be depreciating a percentage of that. So you want to, you know, you want to have all these kind of things in your file, you know, the settlement statement, a spreadsheet allocating expenses properly, you know, copies of the real estate document, copy of the real estate tax annually, copies of your mortgage interest statement, because all of these things are being allocated. I mean, if you want to maintain copies of your monthly bills from power companies, cable cable bills, water bills, you know, anything related that could substantially be related to your business use of home uh, office deduction, all of those things you'd want in your file. If you're, if you're just, you know, dead set on maintaining a perfect file. We are speaking with Matthew Steinberg of Bradyware and Company. And the subject today is can I, or should I deduct my home office expenses from my tax return? Um, Matthew, a couple more questions before we, uh, before we let you go and go back to helping clients. One question I have is, um, if, if you have a, if you have a home and you've used it as a home office and then you sell it, are there any specific tax implications on the capital gains or anything else you can think of that, that you need to be aware of as you prepare, as you prepare to sell that, that property? So it's a good question. Um, you pose a simple question that's actually complicated, but I'll do my best to answer it. Okay. Uh, um, so first off, let me state that there is a rule out there that allows um, for your principal residency, if you lived in it for two of the last five years, where you can get a what we call an exclusion of the gain, up to two hundred fifty thousand if you're single, and five hundred thousand if you're married filing jointly. So what that what that means is if you sell a home, if you live in the home for the last two years and you sell it for a million dollars and your basis was half a million, you know, obviously two years, you doubled the value of your home. That's great. But, um, you know, $500,000 of that is tax free. So you wouldn't pay any tax on it. You still have to report the transaction to the IRS, but you don't pay any tax on it. And it's excluded from, from income tax or capital gains tax. So getting back to your question, if you depreciate part of the property as, as a business use of home, is any of that recaptured as income tax? And the way that works is, um, say you have depreciated $20,000, we'll just call it $20,000. And you know what you, you are entitled to what we call an ordinary income tax deduction at that point, because it reduced your ordinary income by $20,000. So you, in ordinary income, Ordinary income tax rates are higher than capital gain tax rates. So, you know, we're getting into a whole bunch of tax mumbo jumbo here. So I hope I don't lose anybody. Um, but at $20,000, you were able to get a deduction for it, ordinary rates. So when you go to sell the home, that gets taxed at capital gain rates. So the exclusion only allows you a exclusion for capital gains, not the ordinary component. So when you sell the home, you would have to recapture potentially part of the business use depreciation when you sell the property, which would be tax ordinary rate. So, you know, 500,000 
uh, minus 20 would be 480, which was the original gain. 480 would be tax-free, and then you'd be subject to tax on $20,000 ordinary rate. So there is a potential tax exposure if you do take actual expenses for a business use of home annually and depreciate it. Um, so that you, you do need to be aware of that as a taxpayer and as a self-employed individual who's using a business use of home, that there could potentially be a consequence, a tax consequence, and a tax liability from selling a primary home that was used for business purposes, at least a percentage of it. So that is out there. And, you know, like I, would, I know if you have those issues, I would recommend a CPA to help you with that. Because it is complicated. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. We probably only scratched the surface too. So oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's as basic as I can make it. And <laughs> that yeah. sounded complicated when I was listening to myself. So, <laughs> so um, I, I've heard in the past, and I don't know if this is true or not. So I'd like you to either, either substantiate or debunk a myth. Does, does, does putting in a home office deduction substantially increase the probability of an audit? Is that a, is that a flag the IRS kind of picks out and picks on? Well, let me first start with the percentage of individuals being audited has been decreasing every year for the last 20 to 30 years. There's just the IRS is understaffed and they just can't keep up with the volume of returns. So let me put that out there first. That audit risk is already pretty low to begin with. Now I'm not telling you to go out there and you know do everything possible to make your return super aggressive and get all the benefits. I would never recommend anything like that. You know, we want you to file a tax return correctly and you know, we don't want you to pay more tax than you need to pay. You pay the you pay the minimum tax which you're required to pay. Yep. Of course. You know, every time you take a every time you take a position on a return or you're doing things that aren't standard, you're increasing your risk for audit. Now, I mean that you know, I, I we I will go back and say that the IRS did implement what we call the safe harbor, which we talked about for a few minutes earlier, where you get that automatic fifteen hundred dollar deduction based on uh, three hundred square foot, which is the cap. And you know, if you do that, they're not going to audit you. They're they're going to stay away from you. But if you have, you know significant percentage of your home being used for a business deduction, you know, you're, you're increasing your risk. So, you know, if you have a 5,000 square foot house and you're saying 2,500 of it is a, is a home office, then you're just putting yourself out there and drawing all kinds of red flags. Will you get audited? Maybe. Um, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've got clients who've done everything right for, for you know, they say for the last 40 years and they're just more audit prone, you know, and, and they, and they're, you know, they get no changes. They don't have any, you know, the IRS comes in, spends years looking at their returns and nothing happens. Yeah. Other clients who are a little more on the aggressive side been doing it that way forever. And they've never been looked at once. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, you know, how lucky do you feel? I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say that, but you know, it's just, you know, some, some clients are more are unluckier than others and they do everything perfect. And other ones, you know, or taking some positions that may be more aggressive, not necessarily wrong, but they're just taking more aggressive positions in certain things and they never get looked at. So, you know, does it increase your audit risk? The simple answer, yes. Will you be looked at? Who knows? I mean, it's it's a mystery. Yeah, I mean, there is a there is a significantly random element. I guess, you know, the, the best, you know, the, in my opinion, uh, as a non-CPA, you know, the, the best defense against audit risk is just, doing the right thing. Right. You know, your number may just come up. I mean, there are some things I think that do flag audits, um, you know, estate and estate and gift um, tax issues, donations, those things mm -hmm. seem to flag audits more 
um, you know, the IRS will look for, in my experience, they look for just what appear to be outsized deductions. And I think they have, I think that's automated basically. Um, but there is just sort of a random element, right? And your number just comes up and, and, um, you know, the, the best defense against an IRS audit is just don't give them anything to audit. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, least, you, you make a good point. The IRS has a, you know, most of the returns are now electronically filed and they run it through a computer system and they have uh, formulas in there and algorithms that if things, you know, if say you, if you have a $200,000 in income and you donate $200,000, that's going to flag something like how are you giving away all your money? Those th- little things like that trigger, doesn't necessarily trigger an audit, but it triggers potentially a notice or at least, at least someone to review it. So there are all those things in play and the, you know, the IRS system is getting more sophisticated on an annual basis as they computerize more and more of this and more returns get electronically filed. So, you know, you make a good point that, you know, there are certain things that trigger, um, you know, notice and red flags and things to that extent, but, you know, there's also the human element and, you know, you know, is your number going to be up, you know, and, you know, and obviously the defense, the best defense is, you know, the best offense to have the best defense, right? Is that what they say? Or best defense to have the best offense. One of those. <laughs> one of those two. <laughs> um, well, Matthew, it's been a, a good informative conversation. I've learned some things. I know our listeners will, will be learning some things too, that they can, They'll either take back to their own CPA or maybe they'll even take it back to you. It should be a, a good decision, speaking of decisions. But um, how, if people have more questions about this, how can they best contact you for more information? Sure. So, you know, my name's Matthew Steinberg. My email address, uh, M Steinberg, S-T-E-I-N-B-E-R-G at Bradyware.com. You can also reach me at my cell phone. Yep, I'm giving my cell phone number, 678 678- Four six eight one zero eight three. You know, since we're not in the office as much anymore, it's harder to reach me on the office line. So that is my cell phone number. So please feel reach. Feel, please feel uh, comfortable to reach out to me either via email or via my cell phone if you have additional questions. Would love to help you and be an advisor to you if possible. Well, Matthew, thank you. Um, this is this is good stuff, and I have a feeling this will be one of these podcasts that people um, will be pausing and rewinding and taking notes. Um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Matthew Steinberg so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 